Hello, this is Dave Perosic. I am an education reporter for the Northwest Arkansas Democratic Gazette. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Today we're talking about teachers. I've spent the past month or so talking to teachers across Arkansas to try to better understand what this school year has been like for them and how the pandemic has affected what they do. Uh, we're, we're going to publish our findings in the October 25th edition of the Democrat Gazette. That's the latest in our ongoing COVID classroom series, a series that started in August and is supported by a grant from the Walton Family Foundation. Today, I have two guests guests joining me, uh, so let me start by introducing them. Joining me here in studio is Joel Lukadu, Arkansas's 2020 Teacher of the Year. Mr. Lukadu is in his eighth year in education. Uh, he spent his first six years as a math teacher at Lakeside Junior High School in the Springdale School District before transitioning into a role last year as instructional facilitator at Springdale's Tyson School of Innovation. Also joining us by phone is Carol Fleming. Mrs. Fleming is in her second year as president of the Arkansas Education Association, the state's largest union of educators and support staff. While filling that role, she is on professional leave from the Little Rock School District, where she most recently was a speech-language pathologist at Pulaski Heights Middle School. So thanks to both of you for taking time out of your busy week to join us today. Um, now, to be clear, uh, neither one of you is working in a school position, per se, this school year. Uh, so I'd like you both to tell me what your job entails this year. Um, Joel, you began your reign as Teacher of the Year this summer. Uh, can you tell us what, you know, what does that mean for you and how are you uh, spending your time this year? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me, Dave. And, you know, uh, as the Arkansas Teacher of the Year, so one of the things you do, you get to sit on the uh, State Board of Education. So monthly, go to Little Rock for uh, those meetings and get to kind of insert teacher voice uh, on the board and uh, also just get to uh, travel around the state and, and kind of get to share. Um, there's been some speaking engagements, but also uh, it's been a lot of learning experiences for me to kind of broaden my perspective from just my school or district view to more of a state lens. And then uh, also get to be part of the national cohort of State Teachers of the Year. So we have different conferences and uh, professional trainings on a variety of things, but how we, uh, we can all learn from each other from the national perspective, which has been a really neat group to, to get to learn from as well. Mm -hmm. And Ms. Fleming, as a Arkansas Education Association president, uh, can you describe the major duties of your job? So my duties is that I essentially serve as the spokesperson on all matters of policy for our association, which represents aspiring educators who are going to be those educators that are in a college preparatory program to become an educator, our retired members, our active members who are certified as well as classified, and our higher education members. And um, my goal is to promote public education across the state of Arkansas and support our local affiliates and our members in those actions. Great. So um, you both had a chance, I presume, to observe teachers at work this 
year. Um, can you tell me some of your observations of what they're going through and um, you know what you've learned from your conversations with teachers? Um, Joel, do you want to start? Sure. Yeah, you know, there's uh, a wide range of emotions and feelings through throughout the state, and you talk to different teachers, and you're going to hear different opinions. And uh, one thing that has remained, though, is that, you know, I think teachers are very student-centered and student-focused, and uh, I think oftentimes, among all the other things and um, the, the politics and everything else, sometimes that gets lost, and when you, you get to, to talk to those teachers, they are student-centered and student-focused. And, you know, I, there's a lot of differences this year, for sure, when you talk to teachers as far as even just normal, kind of the everyday routine things, like the way you greet and interact with students, not quite as many, you know, handshakes, hugs, and all of that. Um, but there's extra cleaning duties. There's things like spraying tables and uh, sanitizing chairs and, and all of that. Uh, it, the, the workload is, is a lot for sure when you talk about planning for both uh, virtual lessons as well as face-to-face -face instruction. Uh, and so all of that is, is a lot of, to take on, but I think it's also highlighting the impact that a teacher can make. And I think that's been a really special thing to see because students are coming from uh, a variety of, of ways of being impacted throughout this pandemic. And uh, to, to be able to see teachers reach students in ways that uh, many adults can't uh, is just it's fascinating to to watch and to see and to see the joy that that brings to students life yeah carol so actually joel and i were even speaking about this just the other day when we were up in fort smith for the um, 2021 teacher of the year announcement and um, he's exactly right things are different based on your community. Educators, they, um, they are really putting a lot into the instruction that they are providing for their students today, as opposed to what they did last year. Uh, education is not as it was in the previous year. They are, as we like to say, building the bus as they're driving it and they are learning new programs and new ways to provide instruction to the students. Um, they're becoming very creative in some of the delivery, but they're also putting in a lot of work and um, they're doing virtual and in person at the same time in some school districts. Some school districts are now offering a virtual or a flex day, which allows the educators to have some downtime, so to say, where they can do um, some uh, professional learning community, uh, community um, instruction planning and work on their, their grade books. And um, that's been helpful for some, but others are just, they're tired. They're really tired. This is, uh, it's a new environment mm -hmm. and um, they're, they're learning a lot, but they're putting a lot into what they're providing for the students because as Joel said, they are very student focused. 
we know that our students are at the center of everything that we do. That is why we go into education, is so that we know that we can make an impact and, um, and provide our students and our children with the tools that they need to be successful. You, you, talk, you touched on the challenge of teaching both in-person and virtual students at the same time. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people outside of education probably <laughs> don't quite grasp why that's so challenging. Um, you know, some might just say, well, why can't you just prepare one lesson plan for everyone? And um, I'm guessing it doesn't work that way. Uh, can, no. <laughs> can, can either of you elaborate on, on what it's like? So, Joel, do you mind if I start first on this? Go for it. Okay, thank you. So, as a special educator, I know the unique challenges that um, educators have to have when they're looking at individualizing the instruction for those children who do not learn as the quote-unquote typical student. And that's including both your gifted and talented students as well as your special education resource students. And even those students who require accommodations um, as a result of 504 and the Americans with Disability Act. And so in order to provide those modifications in a virtual realm, you have to have the time to be able to modify and adjust the instruction. And you can't just take the same lesson and give it to a class that may be reading on um, a seventh grade level and you have some students in that class that are reading on a third grade level. You have to be able to modify that. And in this new virtual realm or hybrid situation, uh, it's much more um, I want to choose the right word. Um, modifying that takes much more diversity and work to ensure that you are meeting those unique needs of the students. Plus, even if you are teaching a class of sixth graders and then you have a class of eighth graders, what you're teaching to the sixth grade students is going to be different than what you teach to the, to the eighth grade students. It's what they call um, the preps, the preparations that a teacher has to have for all of the various lessons and grade levels. Um, Having to, t if you have a split third, third and fourth grade classroom, you're going to have two different preps because you're going to have to have preparation for the third grade students as well as you have to have it for the fourth grade students. And then again, going back to our students who need to have specialized services, you then have to work your schedule to ensure that the children are getting the minutes that they need according to their IEP, their individual education plan, and making sure that we're meeting those federal guidelines. And I would just add on to that. Um, I think this is a really good question because it does seem like, well, you've made one lesson, so just upload it or whatever it may be. Um, Carol's bringing up some, some very important populations of students that you may need some of those modifications. and. Uh, also, I would add in the English learners to that and, and how are we uh, providing supports for uh, the language aspect. But also, when you think of engagement, 
you know, something that's engaging in person uh, may not be very engaging uh, in an online format. I think a lot of people have experienced many more Zoom meetings or webinars, and uh, we've, we've seen some that are very boring to attend, uh, and we've seen some that are very great. And so when we, we talk about how do we build conversation and discussion into classes, because I think so much of the learning is collaborative uh, and, and groups, and all of that plays a role into how do I plan that in a, in a virtual world. Mm -hmm. And to add to that, I'm so glad that you brought that up, Joel. Um, when you're in a virtual world versus the in-person world, many of our students are kinesthetic learners. And so if you are doing a hands-on activity in the classroom, then the children that are in the, the virtual instruction, unless they have those um, those items that are being utilized for the lesson, then they're not going to have that same experience of the kinesthetic uh, learning approach. Are there some things that school districts are doing uh, to to you know help their teachers out to to really try to relieve some of their burden, and and is there more that they could be doing, or or that the state could be stepping in to say, hey, we can help you out some more here. We talked about this just the other day, didn't we, Joel? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did. I, I think it depends on your community. Um, many communities are uh, having great conversations with the community stakeholders, and that includes your educators, your parents, and um, your policymakers, and so they are coming together with um, solution-oriented ideas, um, and they are listening to the input from the communities, and that's why in some of the school districts, as I've mentioned, you're seeing a flex day or a virtual day that has been put into place. Some school districts are even uh, implementing where you have some teachers that are doing only virtual instruction, and then you have some teachers or educators that are doing only in-person instruction. So a lot of that depends on um, your community and your school district, but the key is communication. Unless you're communicating, you're not going to know what the needs are and what those um, solution-oriented ideas can be to best meet the needs. For sure, I agree uh, with that. And I think when you, you allow teacher voice to be heard, they're the ones who are in the classrooms and seeing what is, what is working and what is not. And so when they are involved in those decisions that can be made or, or offering ideas that can really help uh, just the quality of the education, I think, is going to improve. And I do think, um, you know, more and more districts are starting to see like, this idea of trying to do both virtual and in-person uh, is really difficult. And so uh, you're seeing a little bit of that, that creative scheduling Carol's talking about can be an early release day, you know, once every other week. It could be a full virtual learning day. Some are doing that once a month or uh, throwing those in every once in a while. But that really offers the teachers a chance to uh, stay afloat on planning, on giving feedback, 
when you're doing this in, in multiple formats, uh, or even even if you're not, I mean, just the emotional and mental toll that this is all taking, and that it's taking on everyone. Now that puts uh, people who are at work, that puts them in a bind too when, when those days are happening. But I think when we think about the, the quality that we are able to then create by giving a little bit extra time to, to plan and to just make it better, like we want that for every student, whether they're learning in a virtual environment or in an in-person, we want it to be the best we can. So uh, it does, it takes everyone communicating and talking about what's working and what's not. Circling back to something you said, Carol, um, about the districts that uh, are putting some, some districts have teachers teaching only virtual or only in person. Do we have any idea of how many districts are practicing that? No, I don't know that. Yeah, okay. And I don't know if the Department of Education would know that since each school district had to present their um, ready for learning plan for the state school board to approve um, or so for the state board of education to approve. So all of those plans are to be online with DESE and then they can be modified as the, the year progresses. But um, it, I would imagine it would be on each individual school district website as well as the Department of Education's website. Wouldn't you agree, Joel? Yes, and I, I believe that uh, the Department of Ed is, is sending out some surveys or in the process of that to, to really gather some data on uh, what are the different ways that uh, learning is, is occurring. What are the biggest positives that you see coming out of this school year? You know, things that might carry over from the school year that we'll continue doing in the future because um, this is, we found that maybe this is the, a better way to do things. Yeah, I, I definitely think that there are going to be some positives come out of this. If, if not, I mean, what? sometimes it does take a challenge, a, a, a horrible situation to see and spark some of that growth that can happen maybe quicker than otherwise it, it wouldn't you know, have taken place. The use of technology and how we can incorporate that uh, to to really improve education, not just to use it just for the sake of using it, but to find uh, the different ways that this sparks engagement or this uh, allows me to know exactly where my students are at in their learning. So I think we're going to see a greater use of technology. Uh, I think we're also seeing the, uh, the focus of the whole child and how social-emotional learning is, is a huge part in this. Like if we want students to learn academically, we have to not only know where their strengths and weaknesses are when it comes to academics, but uh, where are they socially and emotionally, and this is really highlighting that. And so teachers are spending more time on that than they have in the past, and I, I think that's going to be a trend that continues. And what I have going through my mind is a Schoolhouse Rocks video, Mother Necessity, Where Would We Be? And we know that uh, it's when there's uh, a necessity that we, we spark innovation and we come up with new ideas that allow us to do what we're doing better. And so I think that's one of the things that we are seeing as a result of this, that it is um, we're seeing challenges, but we're also seeing opportunities. 
Um, and I think I just showed my age by talking about Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> it's um, we, we can't talk about this, I think, without just talking about the virus itself. I mean, it is obviously having an impact on the health and well-being of our students and staff members. Um, already, uh, we've we've had some deaths due to COVID uh, in our schools. Uh, I believe at least half a dozen um, uh, who have reportedly passed from COVID. Um, what, I mean, what kind of impact does this have on, on you know, the, the psyche of, of teachers and, and all of those in the buildings? That's, I, any loss has an impact on the psyche of educators and students in the community. Um, so, um, yes, there have been six individuals that I am aware of in Arkansas's public schools who have passed away as a result of COVID. And um, any loss of life impacts our psyche. Absolutely, and I think that just puts that extra burden and, uh, you know, upon the teachers who are not only looking out for their own well-being and their families, but for their students and for the families of their students. And so, um, you know, one of the things I think we're seeing is that, and Carol may be able to talk to this as well, but when we've, I've been in schools, uh, it, it is amazing the there was a lot of talk early on. Are students going to be able to wear a mask? Are they going to keep it on? Are they, are there, are there issues with that? I, I'm sure there have been, but for the most part, I mean, schools, students, and teachers are taking this very seriously, and I think the the precautions that they are trying to the, the best that they can. Now, every school's different as far as rooms and all of that when it comes to spacing, but they are they are really working at trying to to limit this. But then it's really frustrating when you leave the school and you see all kinds of things going on, different gatherings and whatever, and, and you're seeing the spread continue uh, and hospitalizations rise and, and all of that um, when you know that the work that you're doing and you're putting in is, is a lot more than normal uh, because you're really trying to, to do your best and to do your part. And so I think that is where as a community, as a state, we've got to make sure that we are all doing what we can. And, and I would agree with that. As we've said, this virus does not, it does not exist in a vacuum. Education does not exist in a vacuum. And the virus does not respect and recognize um, city borders, county borders, and school zone borders. Uh, it does not. And as Joel was saying, when you leave the school environment, what happens out in the community has a strong impact on what's going to come back to the school environment. For an example, I am a soccer referee and I had a game two weeks ago and I had a coach who would not wear a mask on the sideline 
And there are strict guidelines that soccer coaches have to wear their masks on the sideline. And he would not wear his mask. And I said, sir, you have to wear your mask. And he said, why? And I said, sir, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And he said, supposedly. And I went, sir, I'm not going to debate you. You're going to have to wear the mask. And or else you're going to have to leave because you cannot be within proximity of these children and these other individuals, because we all have to do what we need to reduce the spread of this virus. For sure. Uh, you both have been wonderful to talk to and, and been very informative. Is, before we wrap up, um, do either of you have anything else that you want to add on this topic, um, particularly regarding you know, the adjustments that teachers have had to make? I'll let you go first, Joel. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I think of the, uh, I think it was Michelle Norris, the journalist who, who said, you know, coming out of this, that she hopes we, we don't reach for normal, but that we reach for better. And I think that has, that quote has really stuck with me because coming out of this, I, I do hope that we see uh, some positive changes for good. Right now, there's a lot of adjustments teachers are making, a lot of, a lot of hardships that this is creating. But then how can we leverage those adjustments that they're having to make for, for good in the future? You know, I think of uh, grading practices. We have uh, long had grades that are focused on compliance. And did you just submit work and it, you know, regardless of the the quality of work I'm focused on, you know, did you turn something in or not? And with with what's going on right now, we're seeing a lot of missing assignments. We're seeing, uh, you know, that's a, especially when it comes to virtual instruction. But how can this help shape our grading practices to move from this compliance based of just do it for the sake of doing it to a mastery or did you really learn it? And things like that. I mean, there's just so many different ways we think of the inequities that this has exposed in terms of uh, you know, facilities or um, even access, internet access and devices, and you know how this has really sparked some of the attention. They put a big focus on you know those different inequities, and then how are we going to to help that in the future, or are we just going to say, oh well, they really exposed it, and all right, let's move on back to normal. I hope we reach for better. And I would have to agree with that. Um, that's a really good quote. <laughs> um, my, my quote has always been John F. Kennedy. Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. You know, because we have to be involved. You can't just sit back and ask the questions. It's come with those solution-oriented ideas and let's get involved and let's have a conversation so that we can move forward. And, um, and I agree, um, the pandemic has definitely, we've known that there were inequities for years, but the pandemic has definitely brought those inequities to the forefront and um, are definitely being um, addressed in uh, a way that we are trying to ensure that our students have the technology and the resources that they need. Um, there's still change to be made. Have we done everything? No, but are we on the right path? 
yes, we're on the right path. We are recognizing those and we're making changes. And as Joel said, I don't want us to say we've done it and then move forward. We have to continue and we have to make it better to ensure that we are meeting these needs. Because so many of our students are virtual and they're not in the schools, we're not seeing them and seeing all of their needs that need to be met. We know that so many of our children are having um, social, emotional um, issues as a result of COVID. So many of our children, they have to have that, that social interaction with their peers and um, they have to have that physical contact or um, visual contact and through Zoom is not enough for many of our children. And so we know that uh, we are going to need to address mental health issues as we are moving forward with our students. And we've only hit the tip of the iceberg on that. Again, um, I wanna thank you both for your time. Uh, it's been very helpful and informative. Again, to note, uh, the Democratic Gazette's series, COVID Classroom, continues October 25th. The focus this week is on teachers um, as we continue to take a hard look at all the impacts this pandemic has had on education. Um, so thank you, Joel Lukadu and Carol Fleming for lending your insight to this discussion today. Uh, this is reporter Dave Perosic. Thank you for listening. Take good care of yourselves and good luck in the rest of the school year.